I knew that I was in a financial um, difficulty. My positives were not going to be as much as my negatives, but I knew I had to give. Well, we could uh, afford pretty good toys in, in a lot of places, but our decision has always been to put uh, God first in our finances. He has never let us down. Paying your full tithing for us, I mean, I guess for anyone, it's like a big chunk of money that you, you look at it and you're like, oh, I could do so many other things with this money. If it's just discontentment, you're happy with what you have and everything is, has more flavor to it. I feel like the more we give, the more we want to give. Mm -hmm. And we get more and more excited as time goes on to give as much as we can. Good morning. Let's all stand together, shall we? As our campuses join with us over in Stevens Point and in Appleton. And let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are, what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us at Celebration Church this morning. Trust that your worship experience has been wonderful so far, as well as those over in Appleton and Stevens Point. God bless all of you guys. This morning, we're starting a, a very short series on the concept of tithing. And the question being posed is, do you tithe? Now, we want to take a look at this and what this means. For those of you who are not familiar with the term, it is an old English term taken uh, pretty much from the King James Bible that refers to 10%. It's a tenth. Uh, we held on to that old English word and turned it into a verb. Do you tithe? <laughs> In other words, do you give 10%? And of course, if you're not familiar with that kind of Christianese, you'd come to church and hear, hey, we're talking about tithing. What the heck does that mean? That's, that's what it means. It's just a fancy old English word for the word 10%. Now, where does this concept come from? We're going to take a look at it. Now, this is in Genesis, the 14th chapter. For those who are not familiar with the Bible, the very first book in the Bible is the book of Genesis. So this starts very early on, way back at the beginning. And we jump into a story where uh, it records that Abram, uh, who eventually was named Abraham, uh, was uh, fighting some guys that, you know, brought some evil and kidnapped his some of his family. And anyway, he goes in and he fights these guys and he wins. And he comes back in triumph. And then it says uh, in Genesis, the 14th chapter, verse 18, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God most high. And he blessed Abram, who eventually becomes Abraham, saying, blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high 
who delivered your enemies into your hand. And in response to this, Abraham gave him a tenth of everything he had. Now, that's the very first time that we see something like this. Uh, not much longer be after that, Abraham becomes a father of Isaac. Isaac becomes a father of Jacob. Obviously, this practice was passed down. We read about Jacob, third generation in now, uh, in Genesis 28, verse 20. It says, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking, I will give and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear. In other words, if God will provide for me so that I may return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God and his stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So you notice that Abraham started this. We see Jacob talking about it uh, a couple of generations down the road. And now, this is 450 years before Moses comes along. Why is that significant? Because a lot of the debate about tithing has to do with the law of Moses. I'll clarify in just, in just a minute. But we know that when Moses finally comes along, he sets forth the law. This is where he goes up and God gives him the Ten Commandments written in pillars, you know, tablets of stone. But it wasn't, a lot of people think, well, the law of Moses was Ten Commandments. No, <laughs> it was just the starting point. <laughs> then they went into everything. I mean, they had a law about everything. When you could do this, when you could do that, how you could do this, what you could eat, when you could eat. I mean, it was, it's really rather intense, the law of Moses, which is reflected pretty much all in the Old Testament. This very strict rule of how to live your life. And it's called, again, the law of Moses. They call it the law of Moses because it was the law. Literally, it was the law. Like we have laws in our country back in that day. It wasn't just a uh, religious expression per se. It was literally the law of the land. The entire nation was ruled and guided by these laws. And they were very, very strict. Part of that law, uh, Moses codifies into law this concept that Abram had started lo those many centuries ago. And he writes in Deuteronomy, the 14th chapter, verse 22, be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Now, this is gone throughout the Old Testament. This is the law that they were all supposed to live by. Now, clearly, they didn't always obey the law. <laughs> in fact, most of the time, they disobeyed it and got in all kinds of trouble doing all kinds of things. This was minor compared to a lot of the other stuff that they did. They were quite horrific in their behavior before God, and God was always warning them against judgment if they didn't stop. They kept ignoring him. Eventually, judgment falls down, and it was rather severe. Uh, but uh, we see that God still considered this an act of worship. Up to this point, all we see is that they did it. Uh, we read in Malachi, the third chapter, how God viewed it as a form of worship. And actually, at this point, you're about to read how he felt very strongly about it. This is God talking. In Malachi 3, verse 8, it says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? Now, that's an obvious response, right? If God walked into your bedroom and said, Hey, dude, you're ripping me off. Your first response would be, How? What am I doing? How am I ripping you off? In what way am I robbing you? And then God answers 
in tithes and offerings because they had stopped giving these tithes back to God. And he went on, he says, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. So we see this, you know, God is feeling pretty strong about this act of worship. Well, one could still argue, okay, but that is still the Old Testament connected to the law. Yeah, although in Malachi, we tend to see a bit more of the heart of God that necessarily isn't tied so much to the law. For example, this is in Malachi, the second chapter, verse 16, where we read about how God views divorce. Now, divorce was okay by the law. It was perfectly legit. There was no problem with it in the Old Testament law. Uh, that's what Moses had said. But look what God says about it. He says, the man who hates and divorces his wife, the Lord says, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect. God was very strong and basically community. He hates divorce. Now, that's not to make people feel bad who've been through it or going through it. You know, we understand there's all kinds of stuff going on in people's lives. But surely God's heart is being expressed here, even though this is in a sense contrary to the law itself. So here God is trying to communicate how he feels about some of these things and certainly a reflection at a minimum into how he refused this practice of tithing. Well, then people say, well, but Jesus never talked about it. That's not true. In fact, we read in Matthew, the 23rd chapter, we're now in the New Testament, this is the gospel, Jesus talking. Verse 23, he says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices. And these guys were kind of anal about everything. In fact, if you looked at how they approached life, they were so nitpicky about it. They made the law. It's bad enough, to be honest with it, just at its face value. These guys came and added to it. They made, you know, really got into legalism and really got out of control. And they, so anyway, these guys, they would make sure they gave a tenth of their spices. Well, I got so much mint, make sure I get this back to the church, Dylan, because they're idiots. He says, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law. You're that nitpicky about tithing, but you've neglected the most important things, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter, the justice, mercy, and faithfulness, without, however, neglecting the former. In other words, Jesus didn't say you shouldn't do it. If anything, he says here, you should be doing it. You shouldn't neglect it. So Jesus acknowledged the concept of tithing, but even still one has to admit uh, from a biblical argument, he's still talking to Jews. They lived under the law. They were required to do these things. And Jesus didn't really come, although he adjusted some of the things that Moses had said, you know, Moses said such and such, but I'm telling you, you know, he, Jesus would kind of straighten it out a bit. But that's just a few minor things. By and large, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. So these guys were still part of this whole system. Well, then we have to ask ourselves, okay, what about the New Testament? Because things changed in the New Testament. Uh, you know, people say, well, did the early Christians tithe? Well, well, certainly the earliest of Christians tithe because they were all Jewish. Uh, in fact, in the beginning, Christianity was con exclusively made of Jewish people. Um, they didn't even think you could be a Christian unless you became a Jew first. That was one of the major arguments uh, in the New Testament. They came along, and then God started showing them and speaking in ways, and some of these Gentiles, well, that's what we are if you're not a Jew or a Gentile, 
who's basically a non-Jew. And these non-Jews began responding to the gospel and getting saved and being filled with the Holy Spirit and experiencing miracles. And and at first, the church didn't know how to handle them. It kind of creeped them out. Even when God spoke in an incredible way to Peter to go speak to some Gentiles, uh, he finally goes after great prompting and visions and everything from God to go talk to these Gentiles, the first thing he says when he gets there is, you know, I really shouldn't be here with you people. <laughs> well, gee, isn't that complimentary? <laughs> you know, ugh, I mean, they really, you talk, they didn't have anything to do with people who were not Jewish. They wouldn't even touch them. I mean, you know, it was a big, big deal. So he gets there and I, I really shouldn't even be here. I don't even know why I'm here. God told me I had to come. And he starts preaching. All of a sudden, they start getting saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. Some start speaking in tongues. He's like, whoa. So it starts messing with their heads. Well, then this big debate comes. Don't they now have to become Jewish and obey the law of Moses? And the word for that was always called circumcision. And you'll read the word circumcision dozens of times in the New Testament. Why? Because you read this argument they have. It's really kind of irrelevant to us today because we don't have this argument. But in the beginning, it was a big deal to them. That's why there was so much debate about this whole idea of the circumcision, whether or not you should be circumcised, which, you know. And then they finally ruled, okay, if you're not Jewish, you don't have to do this. Praise the Lord. It's hard enough to get guys to come to church. (laughs) Well, that really slowed down your outreach, wouldn't it? (laughs) Welcome to Celebration Church. We hope you'll join. Of course, we will need to cut off the end of you. Anyway, so you know, know, people get mad because they don't want to get baptized. Man, I'm telling you. So we're talking some heavy stuff. So, So they ruled, thanks be unto God, that we are not required to follow the law of Moses, except for a couple of basic things. It's in Acts 15, we have to read it, but he refers to the only thing from the Old Testament, of all the things in the Old Testament, a lot of people are like, well, you know, the Old Testament says such and such and about tattoos and everything. Fine, but we don't live by that stuff. It doesn't mean jack to us. The only obligations of the Old Testament we were required to is we're not supposed to eat food sacrificed to idols, which is a non-issue to us today, unless they're doing something in the back of, you know, <laughs> the grocery store we're not aware of. <laughs> It's not an issue to us. We're also not supposed to be drinking the blood of animals. Again, I'm cool with that. And sexual immorality. That's the only three things. We're supposed to stay away from those three things. Beyond that, they said, it's a different day now. We're now living by the rule and the law of grace, which to a great degree covers many of those things. From a technical standpoint, I I mentioned this uh, in, in, in our Bible study. This would be kind of shocking to some people who are real intense about, you know, Christian traditions and the Ten Commandments and stuff. Technically, Christians don't actually even have to live by the Ten Commandments. We don't live by the law, you know, because there's parts of the Ten Commandments that we don't live by. You know, you should not make into any graven image. Well, if you've got a cross around your neck, that's a graven image. You've got a gnome. Oh, <laughs> what do you call those things? Garden gnomes. <laughs> in, your, in your yard, that's a grave image. You know, we're not, but we don't worry about it because we're not supposed to do that. The Sabbath, you're supposed to honor the Sabbath, which literally means you're not supposed to do anything on Saturday. It doesn't mean Sunday. It literally means Saturday. But we don't live by that because we don't actually live in it. Well, you mean that we can go kill people and steal? and stuff? No, because we live now under the law of love. And love does says, do not do harm to your neighbor. Therefore, much of that is barely just covered under that. 
You should not kill people. That's called doing harm to people. It's stealing people, taking someone else's wife, or lying. All these things are considered heinous things that are harmful to people, and Christians are not supposed to do them. So the bulk of it we're supposed to do in those kinds of sense, but all the legalistic types of things uh, really pass us by. So the question boils down to, are Christians required to tithe as set out in the law of Moses? And the answer is an absolute definitive no. We do not have to tithe as laid out in the law of Moses. But should Christians tithe? as a basic standard of worship expression that existed well before Moses ever came along, which is significant. Remember, this started 450 years before Moses ever showed up. This has been the gold standard of how to respond to God with how you are blessed since the beginning. Should we do it? And that answer, I believe, is yes. And there's a big difference, and I know people struggle with this. I remember I was at uh, some business downtown, and some guy sees me and he recognizes me <laughs> and says, hey, you're that church where you tell safe people have to give 10%. I said, oh, no, no, that's not us. Really? You don't think Christians have to give 10%? I said, absolutely not. I said, I think they should give 10%. And there's a difference. There's a huge difference. It's massively different. In fact, much of Christianity... It's not about obligation at all. You see, the Old Testament was about what to do and what not to do. It was written on tablets of stone and in the law. It was codified in the law. You couldn't break the law. But the New Testament is about what to do or not to do as written on our hearts as people of faith, living by the standards set out in the Gospels. For example, do Christians have to go to church? The answer is no. Should they go to church? The answer is yes. Do Christians have to say a certain amount of prayers? No. You don't have to pray. Should you pray? Yes. I know this messes with people's heads, but there's a big difference between what you are obligated to do and what you should do. Do Christians have to read the Bible? No. We don't have GPS trapped on your Bibles to tell whether or not when you open it. <laughs> Well, that you're reading the Bible? You don't have to read the Bible. Should you read the Bible? Absolutely. You should. And there's a big difference. Do Christians have to help people? No. We don't have to do anything. Should Christians help people? Yes, we should. Why? Because in our hearts, we are following the principles as laid out in God's word, not as written out in laws. The Bible doesn't say, gee, you have to stop and help a guy who has a flat tire. But if his blinker is not working, you can drive right past him. I mean, we don't, we don't figure out what we have to do, what we don't have to do, right? We should just help people. It's all covered under that. Should Christians, do Christians have to tithe? I believe the answer is no. Should they tithe? I believe the answer is yes. Now, the bulk of Christian expression is not one of obligation. It is a matter of choice freely choosing to do what is right, honorable, and true. Freely choosing to do that which will advance the kingdom of God. But the New Testament does not specifically say Christians should tithe. You're correct. It does not say that. What does it say? 
It says Christians should deny themselves. The Bible tells the New Testament teachers that we should give to those who have need. It says we should give sacrificially. The New Testament teaches that the more you give, the more God will bless you. The less you give, the less God will bless you, which I know is really different than a lot of what you say, because many of you, I've heard many people in our church say, Pastor, I just pray I win the lottery. Because if I, God helps me win the lottery, I'm going to give a lot of money to the church. Yeah, well, don't tell me what you're going to do with what you don't got. Tell me what you're going to do with what you got. In fact, the Bible doesn't say, pray, God, bless me so I can give. The Bible teaches, the New Testament specifically teaches, you need to give so that God will bless you. Are you catching this? I can't give. I need more money before I can give any money because I need God, give me more money, and then I'll give. That's not the way it works. What Jesus taught is if you will give, God will start to bless you with more money. Look, if you look at what the New Testament does say about money, it's pretty hard to conclude that the standard of tithing is somehow inconsistent. That's what people say. Oh, oh no, the New Testament. We, live by, we don't have to tithe. We live by the New Testament. As if in the New Testament, it never talked about tithing. It does. In fact, in the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 7, verse 1, he starts out by writing about the very story I told you about first that we read in Genesis about Melchizedek and coming to Abram. He writes, he said, this Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of the Most High. He met Abraham, I was calling him Abraham, returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Also, the king of Salem, which is what he was referred to, means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy. Now, that doesn't mean he didn't have a father or mother. It just it wasn't recorded. Okay. Um, so here's this guy who just pops up in the Bible out of nowhere. We know nothing about this guy. He's not a descendant of Abraham. He's a contemporary of Abraham. Where did this guy come from? Nobody knows where he came from, but yet he was a priest and a servant of God. So without father or mother, without genealogy, beginning of days or end, like the son of God himself, he remains a priest forever. Now think how great this guy was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth of the people. That is from the fellow Israelites, even though they are descendant from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi. In other words, this is all way before the law. Yet, he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. So clearly the New Testament does talk about tithing and separates the fact that it was well before the law and had nothing to do with the law. Now, it was in the law, we understand but it's like thou shalt not kill. Now that we are free of the law, doesn't mean we can go around killing people, okay? Because you weren't supposed to kill people even before the law. Do you remember Moses who gave the law and said thou shalt not kill? Do you know what he did? He killed somebody. And he was in big trouble and he had to run for his life. Why? Because it was against the law of Egypt to kill. A lot of these laws, these principles existed way before the law of Moses. When the Bible says we are free of the law of Moses, it doesn't mean we wipe out all behaviors of mankind <laughs> from the beginning. All right, then as we're just talking absolute anarchy. And what he's trying to say here is that all this tithing stuff existed well before any of this. All right, so now, 
Uh, here's the thing. People tend to ignore the broader teachings of the New Testament and just want to point out to what the New Testament specifically says or doesn't say. Says or doesn't say. And you hear this sometimes. We're, we're hearing this, you know, particularly from the younger Christians, especially in these states, you know, like Colorado and stuff, you know, the 20-somethings, where the Bible doesn't say you can't smoke marijuana. The Bible doesn't say you cannot, there's no place in the New Testament that you should not smoke marijuana. Is that true? That is absolutely true. And also there's nothing there. You cannot smoke crack either. It's not there. But what is there? The New Testament says you should always stay clear-headed. Now, I have heard That's what I've heard, that those who partake in such things tend to not be very clear-headed. All right, I know for sure that you're not very clear-headed. So, but these people, and, and, they, and they literally, they become a different type of legalist. They look at the New Testament and delight in doing wrong because they can't find any place where the Bible doesn't say anything specifically about something. But what they forget about the New Testament is there's very little in the New Testament that says you specifically should or should not do. There's very little. There's a handful of things that are very clear. We get into them from time to time. But a lot of these things, it doesn't say anything. But it's very clear because it just teaches us the principle. We follow the principle, and because of the principle, therefore it judges our actions. The people do the same thing with, you know, sexual immorality today. I'm talking Christian people. The Bible does not say you can't make out with your boyfriend. The Bible doesn't say you can't, you know, feel up your girlfriend. The Bible doesn't say you can't look at porn. The New Testament never says anything about that. And they are absolutely correct. It doesn't say any of those things. Let me show you what it does say. Two things. Jesus said you shouldn't even think a lustful thought about a woman. Okay. Paul said... If you're not married to a woman, you shouldn't be touching the woman. So if your premise starts with no thinky, no touchy. No thinky, no touchy. Let me tell these people, no thinky, no touchy. Well, that kind of covers some of those things, right? Well, Bible doesn't say we, we can't do oral. You're right, it doesn't but I'm pretty sure it falls under the thinky, touchy category. Bible doesn't say you can't live with your boyfriend. Not in so many words, no. But it starts with no thinky, no touchy. And these people, they literally look for what the Bible does not say. They find a spot where they want to do something. Bible doesn't say you can't, Bible doesn't say you can't go to R-rated movies. Doesn't say that. Bible says you can't look at dirty films. Bible doesn't say that. You're right. But if those things wind, make you wind up thinking bad, you shouldn't be doing it. Amen. Okay? It's about the principles. We live by the principles. Don't be a pinhead. Don't be getting, you know, the Bible doesn't say this, and the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible, yeah, the Bible, there's so many things we do today the Bible has no reference to at all. Right? Bible and say you can't drink and drive. No place in the Bible. No, not say, praise God, hallelujah. 
Bible says you can't drink and drive. No, it does not say you cannot drink and drive. It says thou shalt not kill. Also, it says that you should obey the laws of the land, right? Unless those laws go against God's word, and then you're supposed to disobey the laws. It's very, very clear. The principles, as New Testament believers in Jesus Christ, it's not about a list of do's and don'ts. It's about a list of principles, basic fundamental principles. If you will live by these principles, you will honor God and God will bless your life. If you ignore these principles saying, well, Bible doesn't say I don't have to do it. Well, you're going to wind yourself up in some very big trouble and very likely God will not be blessing your life at all. Now, certainly, early Christians gave a great deal. What's ironic is the people who say, Bible doesn't say it's supposed to tithe, use that as a excuse not to give hardly anything. But the only other standard in the New Testament is not 10%. It's 100%. These guys sold everything they had. The New Testament Christians got rid of all their assets and pulled it and gave it to the church. Pretty cool. (laughs) Now, do we require people to do that? We do not. Why? Because the Bible never required them to do it in the first place. Why did they do it? They wanted to do it. They wanted to advance the kingdom of God. If you want to sell some $100,000 piece of property and give it to the church, I will not discourage you. But I'm not going to come here and say you have to do it. But if you, everything to you is what you have to do or what you don't have to do, and if you can't find something like in the law of Moses, in the New Testament where it says specifically, you're going to miss this whole point. Christians were told to not be concerned so much about their own needs, but the needs of others. Jesus taught us to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Don't consume everything you get and touch. I believe tithing is a good, solid, biblical way to approach how a Christian should handle money. It is not codified by law. I understand that. To me, it's just a basic reference. So that really brings us to the big question. Okay, pastor, 10% of what? 10% of what am I supposed to be giving? Well, that I'm going to answer next week. Okay? So you really need to be here next week or you're not going to get this. Are you there? He's just after my money. I'm not after anything. I just want to teach you the Bible. And I'm going to show you because when it comes to this, Christians get very cruel with each other. Very condemnatory and judging what other people do and what they consider the proper amount of tithing and what is that. And we should not be doing that. It's none of your puking business how somebody else ties. It's really not. Now, somebody asks you what you think, you can tell them what you think, but all you can tell them what you think and how you live out your faith. We'll talk about that in greater detail next week and talk about what this means to tithe. Tithe what? And it's not necessarily what you think. So don't be afraid. Think, oh, I'm already condemned. No, 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 no. In fact, if anything, a lot of what I say to you next week will set some of you free. This is not about condemnation. It's not about making people feel bad. It's about showing you what the Bible teaches. And we're going to talk about that, okay? But just to show the idea that because we believe in Jesus, all you got to do is when you come to church on occasion, you throw in 20 bucks, is not biblical giving at all, okay? There is a real standard of putting God first. Now, why in the world would you do that? But we're going to show you how your life will be better as a result of doing that. All of this is coming. So don't freak out that we don't unwrap the whole package today. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that you gave so much to us. 
And as you gave to us, so we should imitate God and give back to you and to others. Lord, help us to realize this isn't about legalism. This is about just setting a standard of being righteous towards you, about doing the right thing, about honoring God with what we have been blessed with. Help us to understand the scriptures. And as we go into this, Lord, over the next week and two, or two, that we'll be able to get a real picture of what it means. It is not something that is oppressive and awful, and it's something that you did not design to suck the life out of us. It was something you put into place so that you could freely bless us so that we could succeed greatly. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you.